Well, this morning, we're going to chat about biblical meditation. One of my favorite things, actually. Anybody know how to worry? Anybody show of hands? Yeah? If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you're taking notes this morning, you might jot that one down. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Worry is just focusing all your mental attention on negative things that might happen, but mostly won't. And how often do we do this? Like, it's a lot throughout the day. We sit there and think, well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? What's well, the interesting thing about what ifs? What ifs can be really good and positive when you invite Jesus into it. So one time I was worrying about something. I was kind of freaking out. And um, I was saying, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? It was pretty grim in my head. I mean, it, w it wasn't like a good ending. And I felt God just kind of interrupted me. And he was like, and so, hey, I totally don't mind you what ifing. That's cool. What if? But what you're doing right now is you're imagining a future without me in it. Like you're thinking about all the worst case scenario, but I'm nowhere in that story. So what would you think about inviting me into the future? What if, great, what if away, but just what if with me? Because does your future change if I'm involved? Typically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's been my experience. That doesn't mean that my life has been sunshine, rainbows, candy, corn, and smiles. I mean, we all go through tough stuff. That's life. But I, I wonder how much different my life would be if I went through that difficult stuff without God. That would be a big difference. So instead of focusing all of our mental attention on negatives that might happen, but probably never would, meditation is about focusing your mental energy or attention on what God says. In other words, just focusing on the truth. So how in the world are we going to find out what God says about specific things that we're worrying about? Well, number one, probably the most profound and easiest accessible way is to get into the Word. The Word is the Christian way to say the Bible. Like you hang out in there, and you study, and you think about it, and you chew on it. And so the thing is, we're always meditating on something always. If you're trying to figure out a solution to a problem at work, you're meditating on it. I'll explain what I mean, but you're always meditating on something. Day and night, you're meditating. Now, I'm going to talk about worship for a second, but I'm going to take it apart from the music side, because typically we might think about worship and music synonymously, but worship is a lot deeper than music. When you worship something, you give weight to it. Think about that. What do you give weight to? When you discover that, you'll find out what you worship. What I mean is, like, when you give weight to something, what does that mean? It means you, you think that it's worth something to you. You give value to it. And what you meditate on, what you think about, all the time is what you worship. 
Oh, man. Anybody a little nutty about their finances, like always looking about your finances, checking things, updating things? If that's kind of the orbit of your life, then could you be worshiping money? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm in finance. Like, like I'm, a, I'm a financial strategy guy. I think about money all the time. And there is that concept, like you have to keep coming back into alignment with, okay, I am going to even think about finance or finance strategy through the uh, filter, like through a Jesus filter. You know what I mean? So I'm not freaked out and worried or anxious or shameful or filled with regret about finance. I'm focused. I'm running that through my Jesus filter. What you think about is what you worship. It's what you give mental weight or value or worth to. And listen to this. This is interesting. Worship will actually form the culture that you're creating around you in your life. What you worship totally sets the stage for the culture you're living in. Think about our culture at large. A couple of things. Let's, let's get a little feedback so this isn't just like a pure monologue. <laughs> I'm going to step away from the mic just slightly so I can hear you. Can you guys just shout out to me a couple of things that you think our culture worships? How do you see that playing out? Yeah. Yeah, selfishness and focus on self. Wouldn't it be crazy to be able to like get a number for the amount of minutes each day that we think about ourselves? Anybody know how many minutes are in a day? I was actually, I asked my son Kai this. He's sitting in the back. Um, he's a math wizard. He's nine years old. I said, hey, Kai, let's figure out how many minutes are in a day. I said, how many minutes are in an hour? He's like, 45. I was like, he's like, I'm just kidding. It was 60. I said, okay, how many hours in a day? 24. I said, what's 24 times 60? Literally, he goes, oh, 1,440. I was like, did you just do that math in your head? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. That is amazing math for a nine-year-old to do in his head. I'm 41, and I can't do that math in my head. That's amazing. What we spend our time focusing on becomes our worship. Like, and, and what we worship becomes our culture. So you can actually look around. One of the things that we worship as a culture is sexuality. It is all over the culture. What do we worship? Making money. It's all over the culture. Entertainment. It's all over the culture. Athletics, sports, all over the culture. It's like these little things that we focus on and we think about. Like when I get in, sucked into a fantasy football league or something like that, I think about football so much. 
I'm literally meditating on football. I'm thinking about it all the time. How is that game? What are the results? What are my points? How am I doing against the other folks in my crew? That is meditation. That's a form of meditation. So here's an idea. What if you were today what you've been thinking about for the last six months? It's a simplistic way to think, but I'm just challenging. Like, what have you been thinking about, and how is that affecting you in your daily, like right now, today? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this. We can read this together. In fact, let's do that. I'll pop away from the mic, and we'll read this together. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Basically, just breaking this down, he's just saying, think about good stuff. Fix your mind on good things. Why would that be important? Because humans naturally gravitate toward the bad stuff. How do we know that? A cultural example? The news. I mean, have you watched the news lately? How much good news do you hear? Virtually none. It's all, uh, it's all about stuff that is important, but it's all focused on the negative. And why in the world are we so drawn toward the negative? There's a bunch of different reasons for that, which I won't go into because that's not what I'm talking about today. But humans are naturally drawn toward brokenness, negativity, pain, wounds. We fixate on those things. But the writer of this verse, his name was Paul, he said, think about this stuff. Ooh, here, can I see that verse one more time? Think about things that are true. Well, how are you going to know what true is? Easy way, hang out in the Bible. Think about things that are worthy of reverence and honorable. Think about things that are just and lovely and lovable. I'm not talking about like walking around just thinking about the cute, cuddly kittens on your Instagram feed. I mean, those are cute and that's fine. But think about with intention things that are good and lovely and lovable. Think about these things. So the Greek word for meditate or think on these things, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation is lohizo. It's a mathematical or a bookkeeping term, and it means this, to take time to tally or add up all the goodness of God. Like, keep score of the good stuff. In relationships, how often do we keep score of the bad stuff, and then we use it as leverage 
on each other. Well, you remember last week, you failed me there. You're probably going to fail me again. You just sit there and beat each other up. We all do this. But what if we pivot from thinking on and keeping tally the bad stuff? What if we start keeping track of the goodness of God in our lives? Let's talk practically for a second. I'm going to step away from the microphone again, and then can you just tell me, what are some practical ways that we can that would help us remember the good things that God has done? Some of you have heard this before. I like to ride motorcycles, and uh, I like it because it not only is a form of wind therapy, and, and I do need quite a bit of therapy and have had quite a bit of therapy, not just on the motorcycle but with professionals, and boy, have I been thankful for that. But the reason I like the motorcycle is because it gives me an opportunity to be grateful. Like, have you ever been, uh, and I've asked you this before, some of you, have you ever been grateful for an hour? Nothing but thankful for an hour. That's cool, man. You seriously, your heart feels lifted. Your mind feels clear. There's a verse right here in the book of Philippians, just before the verse that we read a second ago, and it says that with thanksgiving and prayer, if you talk to God and you're thankful a lot to God, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. And then it goes to this next verse. Think about these things. Think about the good stuff. So meditation is all about relationship. If you're taking notes, that's a good thing to write down. Meditation, it's not just a spiritual practice. It is a beautiful spiritual practice. But meditation is all about relationship. When you meditate and memorize and make the truth or the Bible so much a part of you that you naturally incorporate it into every area. In other words, the Bible and, and Jesus isn't an add-on to our lives. It's fundamental. It's our foundation. Everything flows from there. Jesus isn't an add-on. At least, you know, followers of Jesus, that's, that's what we're theoretically supposed to be doing. And so when we meditate and memorize and make the truth so much a part of us that it naturally incorporates into every area of our life, we're sitting there at work, we're at home, we're hanging with kiddos, we're hanging with our friends. It's like I've integrated it so much that it's just a natural outflow. It, it influences how I think and what I say, the actions that I do.
but it's about relationship. So I'm going to talk to you about five different forms really quick of meditation found in the Bible. The first one is in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. Check this out. It says, and his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the precepts, the instructions, the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, studies by day and by night. What's one thing that you absolutely delight in? Debbie, can I get any, I know that you guys, sorry, I, I, right when you started like uh, interacting with each other, I was like, Debbie, let me ask you something. What's something that you just delight in? Music. And is there a specific style of music or even a song that when it comes in, you're just like, hmm. Do you have a style or a song off the top of your head? Worship music. Yeah. It automatically just gets you like, hmm. Yeah, this feels good. There's a delight there. John, how about for you? Grandkids? Oh, they're just like, get over here, you little people. It's just so sweet. Yeah. This verse in Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 says, When your delight is in the law of the Lord, and on your law, on God's law, you meditate day and night. That word, I'm not going to do the pronunciation of the Hebrew word because I know I'm going to butcher that. But the word meditate there, when you delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate day and night on it, you ponder it, you reflect on it. That word literally means to ponder, to reflect, to moan, to mutter, or to make a quiet sound like sighing as you repeat scripture to yourself. So um, I met this guy one time. His name's Brennan Manning. He passed away, but he lived in a cave for a couple of years in Italy, I believe it was. He, I mean, very simplistic lifestyle. And part of his daily rhythm was to meditate One of the things that he meditated on was this phrase. It was, Abba, I am yours. He would sit in a cave and think about this. And he said, usually, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes in, different things would start occurring to him. He would say, Abba, and then he'd think about that word, Abba. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word Abba? Maybe it's an unfamiliar word to you, but for those of you that it's familiar, Father, Papa, yeah. So you'd say, Abba, Father, Papa, Dad, I am yours. And he stopped and started thinking about everything that he knows about God, his nature, his character, everything that God was about, that he knows. He just start thinking about Abba. And then he would go to the next word, Abba, I. And then he'd start thinking about himself and go, what, who am I? And what makes me up? There's past, there's present, there's future for you. There's brokenness, there's wounding. There's dreams, there's broken dreams. There's relationships, both good and difficult or broken relationships. Like, there's a lot of stuff that makes you up. 
we'd say, Abba, I, all that, am yours. Can you go to the word am? Abba, I am. What is What does that mean, I am? It means that currently, presently, everything in this moment, everything about me is yours. And then he would land on the word yours and so on. He said he did that for a couple of years, just thinking, chewing on these things. When you do that, different things occur to you. Your eyes, like Holy Spirit, reveals things to you about his character, about who he is, about what he can do, about who you are. So many of us in our culture, try and, we're on a journey to figure out who we are. And we look externally, we look everywhere else but the Bible <laughs> to figure out who we are. But wouldn't you think that the guy that made you, that designed you, that created you, Adam by Adam, every bit of your personality, don't you think that he would know something about you? I mean, everything about you? So this type of meditation in Psalm chapter 1-2 is to reflect on something, to moan about it, to mutter, to ponder, to make a quiet sound like sighing as you reflect Scripture. In Hebrew thought, when you meditate on the Scriptures, you do this quietly and you repeat them in a soft droning sound while utterly abandoning outside distractions. This is actually a tradition in Jewish culture. Ah form of meditation. Ah! <laughs> Where's my mom? <laughs> There's this form of Jewish um, prayer called davening. I call it that. It's probably called davening or something like that, but I call it davening because my name's Dave. And, and what you do is you sit there and think about a verse and try this with me. This is going to get a little weird. You don't have to do it really fast or anything. But sit up in your chair like this. And now rock back and forth about three or four times like this. It's like the motion of somebody you think has just lost their mind, right? It's just like, oh, no. They're, they're davening again, you know. But culturally, this is a really interesting rhythm when you go back and forth and create a physical rhythm and think about something, it really is a powerful tool toward clearing out your thoughts about other things and really focusing on Jesus and his word. It's a time to get lost in communion with God. So that's the first kind. The second kind is found in Psalm chapter 19. Everybody doing okay? Are you bored yet? Are you doing all right? Yeah? Mark's good. I saw a couple of heads. That Brenda's good. Okay. Yes. Okay. Excellent. All right. So number two, this is Psalm chapter 19, verse 4. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I put up a, a longer, lengthier version, which, by the way, if you don't know this, there's different kind of versions and translations of the Bible. The one I'm showing you today mostly is this thing called the Amplified Version or uh, translation or whatever. And it kind of expands or amplifies out some of the words. So it helps give you context for what these words mean. So this one says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Those two things are connected, by the way. The words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart. Jesus said, 
out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you're curious to know what's in your heart, just listen to yourself talk. You'll figure it out pretty quick. What you talk about is in your heart. It will come out. It'll come out here, <laughs> and it'll come out here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my firm, impenetrable rock and my redeemer. This word, if you're taking notes, is a murmuring sound, but it has music, musical repetition of Scripture. Like, for instance, in 2 Chronicles, this is Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, this amazing story, by the way, highly suggest that you read this, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Read the whole chapter. It's really cool. But there's a time in there where they're kind of dedicating this building to God that he asked everybody to build. It was this incredible temple. When it got time for the whole like ceremony thing, they bring in this really amazing thing called the Ark of the Covenant, and they set it in this incredibly special room called the Holy of Holies. They back out. All of the musicians, trumpets, singers, all that stuff roll in, not into the special place where the Ark is, but they're in the temple, and they start singing, For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. It says in that moment that something like a cloud showed up in that place. And it was so strong and thick and profound, they couldn't even keep going. They all fell down in worship of God. That's amazing. So one time I was invited by this panel uh, of worship people to talk about these, uh, you know, kind of worship issues, you know, the different things that are happening in the worship world, specifically with music. So I'm sitting on this panel, and there's like college professors and different people that have written books and different things like that on there, and then there's me. <laughs> they said... Somebody asked this question about how repetitive song, songs can be in church. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, are we singing this bridge again? We're going to sing this chorus for the 15th time? You're killing me. And so being the youngest guy on there, they thought that I might be, um, you know, in touch with worship culture or something. So they said, Dave, why don't you answer this one? Why is there so much repetition in modern worship because they were trying to say the hymns the things that that used to be sung naturally and normally in church gatherings were so rich in content there were amazing concepts and beautiful truths wrapped up into song so when you go from that from oh lord my god when i in awesome Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Right? Just this beautiful 
imagery. It's poetic. It's really nice. And then you get into a, a song that's like, You are the everlasting God. Okay, what next? The everlasting God. We already sang that. You do not faint. You won't grow weary. Okay, th those are great words too. But then you get into this this repetition, right? Of um, what's a good example of this? Uh, I'm the I'm the music guy. I should know. Okay, good. I sang that early, earlier. Um, it goes, uh, Jesus, 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 we honor you. Right. So what's up with all the repetition, they asked me. And I said, well, I don't know culturally, you know, what the, what the difference might be. But I can tell you this. My 11th grade trigonometry teacher used to tell us, repetitio es mater studiorum. He told us that every single day. And the repetition is the mother of all learning. Somehow, when we sing songs or thoughts over and over again, it is a form of meditation. It's exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. When you reflect on, think on, repeat, mutter, utter something, it helps you to get into a meditative space where you can think on and reflect on the truth of who Jesus is. And they were like, huh, my grandpa used to call these songs 7-Eleven songs. They have seven words, and you sing them 11 times. <laughs> he hated those songs, man. He's like, oh, give me a hymn. I don't want to hear this repetitive stuff. So you just point them right over here to Second Chronicles chapter 5, and all they were singing was, For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. They were just meditating. They were chewing on it, rolling it around, thinking on it. So the second word, musical repetition of Scripture. It's beautiful. Number three, Psalm chapter 119, verse 48 says, I lift my hands to your commands, which I love. And I meditate on your decrees. This word meditate means to have a conversation with the Father about his word. It also carries with it the idea of chanting while making a pilgrimage with God into his word. Here's a cool thing. In Psalm chapter 120 to Psalm 134, there's 15 psalms there. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. Every year in Hebrew culture, they would do these big parties in Jerusalem. Everybody from all over the country would go to Jerusalem, and it was this great big, you know, food, worship, friendship, community, family. Everybody would make these journey, this, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And historically, what they would do as they're walking from their house over to Jerusalem is they would recite these 15 Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent pretty cool 
And if you read those psalms, there's actually a journey inside of the psalms. It takes you somewhere. In Psalm 119, verse 48 says, I lift my hands to your commands, which I love. So this is beautiful imagery. Like if you see something like, let's say that you're a sports person and you see something happen in the game that you really like, what does everybody do? They cheer. What do they do with their arms? Yes, Talia. Exactly. They're like, right? The psalmist says, I'm this enthusiastic about God's word that I go, like, like, man, that's challenging for me. When you open up the Bible, are you like, woohoo, yeah, baby, Bible time? Or are you sometimes like me where it's like, it's been a long day and you crack it open and you're like, <laughs> sorry, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. For the Lord is good. And you just pass out 900 times. Yeah, all of us do that. I don't think God's frustrated or bothered by that. But what I'm saying is it's a different mood, a different mindset to be like, woohoo. Yeah, it's the word. I'm getting in. This is going to be awesome. So this word means to have a conversation with the Father about his word. That's where you sit there and go, hey, what do you think about this? Can you talk to me about this word, this verse? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for my community? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for the world? Beautiful, beautiful thoughts. The next one, Psalm 119, same chapter, just a few verses later in Psalm 90, uh, chapter, 9, chapter 119, verse 97, it says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This type of meditation is a prayerful reflection on a verse or scripture. A prayerful reflection. Let's try this together. Let's try it with this verse. Okay? It says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day or all day long. Okay, so if we're going to meditate on this together, this is maybe what it would look like. See, I would, I'd probably get in, into a meditative posture like this and start to stroke my, my beard that is pretty much non-existent. I w- maybe I would, sh- you know, encourage you, Mark. To, there you go. You, there you go. Andy's got a juicy beard as well. There it is. There it is. Think about this. Oh, how I love your law. What part of his law do you love? Well, what is his commandment? I'm teaching you. I'm showing you exactly how I meditate right now. What is his law? Let's see. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I have a command for you. Anybody know what it is? To love one another. Would you think that that's a good law? Love one another? Well, it's good when it's convenient. (laughs) It's not particularly great when you're being told to love somebody that's a bonehead or that's hurt you really deeply or something like that. And, And what does that mean to love them if somebody's hurt you? Hmm. Oh, how I love your law. There I did. I repeated it again. Oh, how I love your law. You could also say, oh, how I love your law. I love it. 
I love how it works. I love the texture, the dynamic. I love the complexity, but I also love the simplicity. I love your law. I love it. It's the best. There's no law that's better. Oh, how I love it. I think about it day and night. When I think about my life, I don't. <laughs> I don't think about it day and night. And so there's this invitation not to shame the verse isn't here to bring shame to you. The verse is here to invite you closer in relationship, in friendship with God. It's this invitation like, hey, think about this every night, every day. Think about it every night and day. Stretch my wings and fly away. I believe I can fly. Don't make me come for you. I will sing old school 90s R&B all morning long. I need to get one of those dangly 90s earrings with a cross on it. Have you guys seen those? Those are making a big comeback right now. How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This is a prayerful reflection upon Scripture. The last one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 15, if you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 4, 15. Everybody doing okay? All right. So I got an hour more of this. <laughs> Just kidding. It's two hours. You guys are hosed. 1 Timothy 4, 15 says this. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your progress. This word means care for or attend to or to be diligent to practice. It means to carefully revolve the scriptures in your mind. Like, have you ever heard this concept of a premeditated, like a premeditated murder or something like that? What does that mean? To premeditate. I haven't heard from you yet this morning. I, I don't know your name yet either. So what is your name? What is it? Brandon. If you're going to take a stab at this, I know I'm putting you on the spot. And you can be like, I don't want to talk anymore, and that's fine. But uh, if you're going to premeditate a murder, what would go into that? Everybody's listening, including the NSA. Tell us, Brandon. breaking something down every step you're not just like generalizing yes I plan to do this you're getting down into the weeds down into the details you're you know picking everything apart and saying okay once I do this I'm gonna do that once I do that oh, 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 oh yeah I need to do this I need to remember that you like plan the entire thing out to premeditate something is to get into the weeds so here's the picture that this verse gives can you imagine in your hand a dirt clod? Everybody knows what a dirt clod is? Yes? Imagine one of those things in your hand and then break it. Okay? In, inside your hand, you're going to have a bunch of little tiny pieces, but then you're going to have some bigger ones. Okay? Imagine grabbing one of the bigger ones 
dropping everything else. Put the bigger one in your hand and break it. And grab one little piece and clean your hands off. Put it in your hand and break it. Until all you have in your hand is just a little pile of powder. Then take your finger and start moving it around the palm of your hand. Spread everything out. Maybe you'll see little reflections of quartz or mica in there. Maybe you'll see little pieces of rock. Maybe you'll see a piece of glass. And this is just, you know, this close. If you really want to get into the weeds on it, get out a microscope. And then start looking at that thing. And look at each individual piece. And then realize, like, how many pieces of dirt do you think, individual pieces, would be left on your sweaty palm at the end of that exercise? You started with something big. Now you have just a fine powder. How many individual pieces would you guess would just be on the palm of your hand? Any guesses? Ready? I mean, quite a few. Like, what do you think, Anthony? How, how many pieces? Rough guess? I mean, you're cleaning cars all day. I mean, how many individual specks of dirt and dust and sand and other weird things are you cleaning out every day? Yeah, it's millions. Just on the palm of your hand, if it's, if it's just barely covered, oh, we're talking about thousands, easy. But you don't consider those each individual things when you pick up a dirt clod. You just see the clod for what it is as a whole. But when you start breaking it down, you realize it's comprised, or comprised of things. It's, there's a lot of things that go into this dirt clod. This is what biblical meditation does. It takes a big concept like grace, and it breaks it down and breaks it down and breaks it down and breaks it down and breaks it down. So you're really starting to understand some of the mechanics involved in this giant idea. So he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them. That means you got to put some time and work in. But it's not like because you need to be a good Christian and perform really well so God can like you. Again, meditation is about relationship. Like, why is it so important for us to wrap our heads around something like grace? <laughs> Let's think about a couple verses. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is a very important concept in terms of what we believe as followers of Jesus. You can't even get into God's house or, it, or be invited into his family without grace. That means it has nothing to do with you and your performance. It has everything to do with Jesus and his performance. That's how you get into the family. Otherwise, we could brag about how awesome we are and we earned our way here. Well, that's contrary to what Romans says. You can't brag and work really hard and get into the family. It's by grace. So you start breaking down these concepts and they become really profound. And then it challenges you when you're about ready to club your coworker for being a bonehead. Grace. Oh, I'll tell you a quick story. In 2010, we were doing this music festival. And there was this hard rock stage. We were doing it in Longmont. I think we had, what was it, honey? 110 bands that year in one day. It was ridiculous, whatever it was. It was such a hot day, profoundly hot. We had this one hard rock stage that was totally nuts. It was like hardcore stuff. It was awesome. 
There's mosh pits. There's all kinds of fencing that are keeping people away and all that stuff. Well, there's this one band called Blessed by a Broken Heart, which we now renamed Blessed by a Broken Stage because in the middle of their show, they invited everybody to bum rush the stage. Hundreds of people jumped up on the stage, started jumping up and down. This virtually unbreakable decking snapped. There's people literally hanging from the top of the stage like they had climbed up the poles, and they're like, woohoo, like that. And the entire stage started sinking forward about six inches in the dirt. Then they grabbed their gear and ran and hid in a bush for fear of what I might do to them when I found them. Dead serious. We looked for them for a half an hour, and they were hiding in a bush. I'm on my way over there. Tara's with me, a bunch of other people. We are like running over there, and I'm, I'm just like steam is coming out of my ears because these stages are super expensive. And I know I have to pay for the decking. I have to somehow get this crane out of the ground. It's six inches down. Like This is going to be brain damaging. I'm just furious. It's going to put our festival back in terms of the timing. Some bands might not be able to play. I paid a lot of money for these people to be here. All of the things. And I'm rolling over there like, Ugh. And my stage pastor of that stage, his name was Chad. He catches me about 20 feet from the backstage entrance, steps in front of my, like, locomotive path, sticks his finger in my face, and says one word, grace. And I was like, oh the last word I wanted to hear right now. Grace. <laughs> so after we found them hanging in a bush, I brought them out and I said, you know, you just cost us a lot of money. You put us behind on time. This is super frustrating. I want you to know I forgive you. I bless you. I want to show you grace. They were like, right on. 30 minutes later, they stole one of our top leaders' golf carts and roamed around the festival asking for donations. I literally wanted to club these people in the face. I just like, I'm gonna blessed by a broken nose. You know what I mean? I'm going to just, hmm. That word, grace. Grace. Oh. When you take a big idea, concept, start breaking it down. And it starts getting into your everyday life. When you have blown your top, when steam is coming out your ears, when somebody's bugging the heck out of you and you don't know what to do, when you're stressed out because of a variety of things, physically, financially, whatever it is, you start meditating on God's word, it gives you answers, it gives you a direction, it roots you into truth, it leads you and guides you into peaceful spaces and places of thought. It helps you interact with people. When you meditate on the word, I'm going to close with this. And before I close, I got to tell you this. There's a little girl sitting in the front row with her mom her dad was preaching and her dad said in closing and she looked up at her mom and said what does that mean in closing her mom looked down at her and said nothing it means nothing <laughs> so in closing
Check out this verse, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night so that you can observe to do all according that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Let me give you a little context. This is in Joshua chapter 1. What happened just before this is that the previous leader of Israel, one of the most famous of all time and most regarded, is Moses. Joshua was actually helping Moses out for a series of years. When, jo- when Moses would go into this amazing tent called the Tent of Meeting where God's presence was, you could find Joshua right outside, always. When Moses would leave, Joshua wouldn't leave. He'd stay close to the tent because he wanted to hang out in the presence of God. Well, it comes time where Moses passes away, and now Joshua's the guy. He's freaking out because how do you match up to somebody as awesome as Moses? He's like the leader. And we pop in here at verse 8. God gives Joshua this incredible insight. He says this. If you just make my law in your mouth every day, if you keep it in there, if you meditate on it day and night, if you observe it, don't just like talk about it, but actually do it, then check out what it says. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Here's an interesting thing about Joshua's life. There's two times in his story recorded in the Bible where it did not go well with him. His way didn't prosper. He got into some seriously big trouble. And both of those times were after God told him this. If you meditate on my word day and night, everything you do is going to go great. Now, I don't mean up and to the right in terms of fiscal growth. What, What I mean is everything will come out okay. Yeah, you'll go through difficult times, difficult seasons. You're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Well, there's a couple of times it did not go all right in Joshua's story. But he had the promise that if you do this, if you meditate on the word day and night, it'll, it'll be okay. So what can you assume? If God told him, meditate on my word day and night, it's going to go great. And you find a couple of pl- times where it did not go great. What can you assume? He wasn't meditating on the word. I guarantee you he was meditating. Because we all do that, man. We're people. We think about stuff. We roll it around. We take the dirt clods and break them down. But the invitation here is it's to a close relationship. Think about my word day and night. It's not a religious activity. It's friendship. Think about me. Roll it around. Break it down. Integrate it. Actually do something with it. So, the uh, invitation today, what do you think about this? You think you want to give it a try this week? Don't just hear it, but maybe do it. Anybody? Show of hands, Mark's in. Lisa's in. Perfect. Yes, Lainey's in. Okay, good. Yeah. Grab a verse. It doesn't have to be like a chapter. Just grab a verse, write it down on a piece of paper, chuck it in your pocket. 
or grab your phone and make it your new screensaver. So every time you look at the thing, which is 900 times a day, that'd be a good way to start the meditation. You look at this thing like crazy. I do too. So it's like put a verse on there, and every time you open it up, ah, yes, meditating on his word day and night, day and night. Try Some of you, try going to sleep thinking or meditating on a verse. I'll bet you the quality of your sleep would improve. Just a guess, but maybe you try it. It could be cool. I'm going to speak a blessing over you, and we'll hit the road. You guys did so good. Thanks for hanging in there with me and my long-winded ways. All right. Let me speak a blessing over you. If you want to, you can open up your hands like so. You don't have to do this. Look at John and his grandbaby. Oh, ho, ho, there's the delight right there. If you want to, you can do this. You don't have to, but you can. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you, empowering you with the Holy Spirit. So you can be who he made you to be and do what he made you to do. This week, today, moving forward, may his presence be with you. May you meditate on his word day and night. Chew on it. Invite God into your what-ifing. Invite God into your future, into your present, and into your past. May you roll around his truth. When you get lost this week, may you find the direction moving forward in his word. Chew on it, meditate on it, think on it. If there's nothing new that he's saying to you this week, may you remember the words he's spoken to you in the past so they can be anchors and fresh words in this season right now. And may he give you his peace peace to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.